Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church, North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Dig into part two of Shovel and Spear. I'm going to keep you standing for just a moment, but we're going to continue on in this series that we started last Sunday. If you did not catch the kickoff to our series last Sunday, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to jump on YouTube and to catch that because not only did we kick off this series, but we shared the story of the miracle that God did as we have now purchased this building. Lighthouse, it's officially in your name now. It's officially in your name now. Not my name, your name. And it's crazy to think that we headed into the pandemic with nothing but a trailer full of our equipment and we're coming out of this pandemic with territory in Jesus' name. Who does that? God does that. Who does that? God does that. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing impossible for him. And so over the next few weeks, months, I don't know how long we're going to go. We are in this series called Shovel and Spear. And um, today I can't wait to dig into what God has for us. But for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. Alongside my beautiful wife, Joanna, we have the privilege of pastoring Lighthouse Church, North County. In my opinion, some of the best looking people in all of North County. I'm a little biased. I think y'all are just amazing. And so um, we have been on a journey for two years. We started in a school, San Marco, I'm sorry, Mission Hills High School in the San Marco School District. And God opened up a door for us supernaturally to migrate over to the city of Vista. Come on, how many people live in this city? Where are my Vista folk at? Make some noise. Call ourselves Lighthouse Church in North County because we truly do have representation from all cities in the North County. We've got everything from Oceanside to Fallbrook. And so if this is your first time here, it's so good to have you here. And at the end of our service, head on over to the Start Here Canopy. There's that table right behind you. And we have a gift that we give to all of our first-time guests. It's our way of just saying thank you for coming, and we hope to see you again. So let's dig in now. Join me in your Bibles to the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verses 5 through seven. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to get this up on the screen, but it reads as follows. Then rose the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed it in the house of his gods. I want to talk to you for the next few moments on this thought that I am calling every city has a calling. Every city has a calling. Would you join me one more time as we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to now hear your word. 
Father, we're so grateful because you have met us here. Your presence has been here from the moment that we began worship. We could feel you, Father. We are so thankful, God, because we're not gathered under a tent, but we are gathered in your presence. And we are not doing this alone, but we are doing this with the community of believers that you have called us to worship together with. And I just pray, Father, that over the next few minutes that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that your word would prick our hearts so that we would be compelled to be doers of your word. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Clap your hands one last time, Lighthouse. And you may be seated. Every city has a calling. I want to start off by sharing with you this story about my family's road trip last year. If you've been with us for some time, you're probably wondering, how many stories does Pastor Josh have about his road trip last year? I've got all kinds of stories about my road trip. And uh, so last year, with vacations kind of being in a, in a funk with all that was going on in 2020, my family and I decided to take a road trip. And, um, you know, we wanted to make, you know, th this road trip a real special for our kids because we were going to be putting in thousands of miles on our road trip. So what we did was we decided that we were going to rent a larger vehicle. My wife, she's got like a compact SUV. That's the biggest car we got. And we said, let's get one of those big SUVs with that third row option. Something where our boys can just have room. Because we've got three young boys, five, seven, and 11. And if you know anything about boys, you know that they fight. Can I get a good amen from all the parents in the room? They just fight. And so we're like, you know, if we can get that third row option. We can put one kid in the back, spread out the other two, and we're going to be okay. So we rented this SUV. And much to my surprise, when they said, Mr. Herrera, we, we got this SUV for you. And by the way, this thing's practically new. It had 800 miles on it. That's, that's fun, right? Because how many of you ever been to a car rental and you got a car and it just stunk? You know what I mean? And it's just like, what in the world was happening in this car before it came to me? But this car was just pristine. And I remember getting in the car and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be real good. This is going to make for a great road trip. This car was so new that when we put down the LED monitor, um, we, 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 we pulled off the plastic. That's how new it was so that my boys, they hooked up their Nintendo Switches and it made for a great road trip. I mean, my car is 10 years old. I don't got an LED screen in my 10-year-old car. You definitely cannot hook up a Nintendo Switch to it, but this new, this, this was a Chevy Tahoe, brand new, had all the bells and whistles, and my boys were loving it. Well, it's our first night, and we're making our way to the hotel, and it's getting late. It's probably about 10 o'clock at night, and we're very close to the hotel. We're about four miles away from the hotel, um, but we're, 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 I'm sorry, we're a little, we're about 20 miles away from the hotel, but we're four miles away from the gas station, and I look at my gas gauge, and this new car with all the bells and whistles tells me, in 24 miles, you're going to need gas. So I'm thinking, I got four miles to go. I've got 24 miles. I'm good. I'm good. We're, we're going to be just fine because I trust this car. It's a new car. Everything's got to work, right? right. Wrong. <laughs> we get to this hill, and we are going up this hill, and as soon as we get to the top of this hill, my car turns off. We're out of gas. That gas gauge was a worse liar than the devil. <laughs> it said I had 24 miles, and I only had four miles to get to the gas station, and that sucker turned off on me and you know it's the first night of our road trip it's me and my beautiful wife and three little kids I can't wait for the day when they can help me push a car but I'm thinking there's no way I'm gonna get this thing but thank God for his provision what happened was it went out just as we crested the hill 
I took that sucker from neutral all the way down the hill and right into the station and I was able to get gas and I even put it on my phone. I put miracle one on my road trip. When the odometer meant for evil, God turned it for good. You know, it's like God just worked on my behalf. But um, I say all that because it was nice to have this good looking car. It was great to have all the bells and whistles with the car. But as long as the car had no gas, it didn't matter how nice the car was. It didn't matter how many bells and whistles this thing had. Who cares that my kids could put the Nintendo Switch plugged in to the LED screen inside of this SUV? If I had no gas, I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't going anywhere. And for all you Tesla owners in the room, if your battery's not charged, because y'all looking all salty, my car don't run on gas. Excuse me. But if your battery's not charged, you're not going anywhere either. And so it doesn't matter how nice the outside is. If on the inside you don't have what you need, you're not getting very far. And I say all that because we are in this series, Shovel and Spear, and we are diving into the books of Nehemiah and the books of Ezra. Now, can I be honest with you? Everybody knows about the book of Nehemiah when the Jewish exiles, they they had been captured by Babylon and were sent to be the workforce of the Babylonian Empire, who was then conquered by the Persian Empire. And so now they have become slaves two times over. But God speaks to the king of Persia, King Cyrus, and says, I want you to allow my Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. God would speak to this secular king because he was constantly and consistently looking after his people. And so that's where we pick up in our story. Last week we talked about King Cyrus. He issued a decree. He didn't just proclaim it, but he put it in writing. He said, I'm going to allow the Jewish captives to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So we pick up now where they began to make their way back to Jerusalem. But again, if you talk about Ezra and Nehemiah, everyone talks about Nehemiah. I know they go together like peanut butter and jelly, but Nehemiah gets all the shine. Nehemiah is is the one who gets all of the glory because even the name of our sermon series, Shovel and Spear, that's not a moment in the book of Ezra, but it's a moment in the book of Nehemiah where they had to fight the enemy off with one hand. They had a weapon in one hand and they had a tool to build the walls in the other. So they had a shovel in one hand and a spear in the other. But I think the reason why Nehemiah is the sexier of the two stories in the Bible is because it was the Jews having to overcome external opposition. They were having to defeat an external enemy. They were having to fight against someone on the outside. I mean, this this is what good movies are made of. How many enjoy a good movie where the underdog has to rise up and defeat the big, bad enemy? Come on, we all like those types of movies, right? No one likes a movie where a guy has to overcome himself. You can't make a summer blockbuster about a lady who had to overcome her emotions. And yet, even though Nehemiah is about overcoming external opposition, Ezra takes us into how we overcome personal opposition. I know it doesn't make for summer blockbusters, but it's the more important of the two. What's going on on the inside is far more important than what is going on on the outside. And what happens is if you grow up in any sort of church that, see, I grew up in a Pentecostal holiness church where we were far more concerned about what was going on on the outside than what was going on in the inside. 
And the truth is, you can look great on the outside, but if the inside isn't where it needs to be, you ain't going very far. Like a Tahoe without gasoline, it might look good on the outside, but if what the inside, if you don't have what you need on the inside, you're not going very far. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Nehemiah is about overcoming external opposition, but Ezra is about overcoming personal opposition. Because here's the deal. Overcoming me requires more discipline than overcoming others. I know we like to get on social media and post what we did. I know we like to get on social media and post the external. But the truth of the matter is it requires more discipline to lead yourself than it does to lead others. The hardest person that you are going to lead is yourself. The hardest person that you are going to have to overcome is not your neighbor, is not your enemy, but it is yourself. And so the book of Ezra doesn't get as much shine as the book of Nehemiah because they're not building walls. Instead, they're building an altar. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Josh, that's a physical structure. But in the spiritual application and in the New Testament application, it's actually a personal thing that we have to build again. It's a personal thing. It's not an external thing. So when typically when I shout, hey, we're going to win the city, everybody gets up in a frenzy, right? Let's go win the city. Ah! But when I say, hey, can I get you to start winning your mornings? You're like, eh? Winning my mornings? Yeah, your, your, your quiet time with God, your, your personal devotion with God, your, your quiet moments in his presence. I tell our leaders this at Lighthouse Church, win your mornings. Win your mornings. Let God be the first person you talk to in the morning. Let, let, let God be the first voice that you hear in the morning, especially if you got little boys like me. I know that if I can get up and if I can beat my kids up in the morning, I can have some quiet time with God. But when my kids are up in front of me, I mean, they don't mean to act like the shepherds of Satan, but they do sometimes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but you know, the kids are up. They need things. And so it's so important to me to win the morning. But again, that doesn't make people get into a frenzy. No, 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 no. We want to win the city. But I think God really wants us to win our devotion before we go and win the city. I think that God wants us to win in the personal before we go and win on the external. And here, I, I remember seeing this, you know, um, for the very first time with my older brother. When we get into knowing what really matters. Because here's the deal. Winning the war personally is far more important than winning the war externally. What matters most is that you win the personal war. Because here's the deal. If you win a war that doesn't matter, you still lost. Let's say that one more time. If you fight and win a war that doesn't matter, you've still lost. You've still lost. But we won this thing. It's like getting in your fight, getting into a fight with your wife and you won. <laughs> it was the wrong thing to be fighting over. Can all the men in the room get, I get a good amen from you? You're like, I won the fight, but you're sleeping on the couch. Tell me about how much you won. You know what I'm saying? And so you want to make sure you win at the right thing. You want to make sure that you win at what matters. Now, as I was getting ready to say just a minute ago, um, I have three boys and I have three brothers. So there was four boys in the Herrera household growing up. And my older brother and I, we're 15 months apart. That, that's like close. Now that I, I really appreciate that, now that I'm a parent, I'm like, mom and dad, that was close, close. Like three more months to the left and we're Mexican twins. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to share a birth, we're going to share the age at some point, you know? Um, we were almost there, but we're close. 
But what that meant was my brother and I growing up, we were very close. And, and I, what I love about little boys in elementary school is they just don't care. I mean, they just don't care. I mean, my boys have so much fun together. On the way up here, they were driving, they were singing and laughing, and I try so hard to just keep my mind like, think spiritual things, think spiritual things. And my boys are just, yeah, just going, just going. Well, I remember seeing this with my brother, my older brother, because when he got into junior high, he changed. All of a sudden, he didn't want to hang out with me no more. And I remember getting my feelings hurt, you know, because now he was in seventh grade. And he didn't have a classroom. They had different class periods, right? They had first periods. I remember just watching, and I'll never forget, seeing my older brother change. And, and he, would, he got so concerned about the opinions of other people. And he would say things at the house like, that's going to ruin my reputation. I'm like, you're in the seventh grade. You don't have a reputation. <laughs> but he thought that everybody was watching and I watched my brother change he went from he and I just being these fun loving brothers to now he was in junior high and so I ended up kind of just hanging out more with my younger brother Jacob who's here I was like well fine I'm gonna go find me another one who's another brother who's not so concerned about their reputation but parents in the room you see this with your kids right they're so concerned about what others, what others perceive of them, about them on social media all the parents can I get a good amen on that your conversations are like, my daughter told me that her friend didn't like her picture. Oh, but she liked the other friend's picture, but she didn't like her picture. And all the grandparents in the room, you're thinking, no way. And all the young parents in the room, you're like, yes way. This is the stuff that we're dealing with. And does it even really matter, right? And this is what parents are having to work through with their kids. Are we going after what really matters? And so today, the rest of the time that I've got with you, I want to dig into this concept of rebuilding the altar because rebuilding the altar was rebuilding what mattered. And today I'm not here to shape your influence, but I'm here to shape you. I'll say that one more time. I'm not here to shape your influence, but I'm here to shape you. I pray that this word of God get deep down on the inside of you because God's more concerned about you than he is about your influence. God's more concerned about your soul than he is about your followers. God's more concerned about the condition of your heart than he is about the condition of your social media account. Amen? It's getting real quiet in this tent this morning. So in the book of Ezra, again, which represents a deeply personal affair, the first thing that they did was rebuild the altar. That's the first thing that they did. They didn't rebuild the walls. They rebuilt the altar. After they rebuilt the altar, they rebuilt the temple. After they rebuilt the temple and after some decades later, then they built the walls. Again, we talk about the walls, but nobody talks about the altar. And you can't skip the altar because the altar was the thing that needed to be built in order for anything else to even matter. Why have a temple if you don't have an altar? Why have walls if you don't have a temple? And so it was so important that they got this altar right. Because in the Old Testament, the altar was the place of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, where the altar was, that was the place where they would bring the different animal sacrifices that they would offer up for the atonement of their sins. And they would bring the various sacrifices to this altar. And then, they would, then the high priest would come and he would perform the ceremony, the ritual, and the prayer. And then their sins were atoned for. They would receive forgiveness of their sins. That's the way it was done in the Old Testament. But can I tell you in the New Testament, it's just a little different. Romans 12.1 reads as follows. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as a 
living sacrifice. So, so the place of sacrifice in the Old Testament was an altar, but the place of sacrifice in the New Testament is sitting right next to you. It's personal now. It's personal. Paul goes on to say, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Said differently, my life is my sacrifice. My life is my offering. And my life is my worship unto God. Again, personal, not external. Not external. But your life. Let me, let me take you to your next point for those of you that are writing this down. God is more concerned about the altar of your heart. God is far more concerned about the altar of your heart than he is about what you are doing. And, and, and what you are doing, busyness, and it doesn't even matter if it's for God. Because some of us, we hide behind our good works and we say, but God, I, I got perfect attendance at church, God. I'm in a connect group, God. I'm on the dream team, God. I was there for serve day, God. But he knows the condition of what really matters, and that is your heart. And so in the Old Testament, they had to rebuild the altar before they could rebuild the city. And in the New Testament, we've got to rebuild our hearts before we can go and build our churches and build our cities. I know it doesn't make for great preaching, but can I tell you that's what matters most to God. You don't get to Nehemiah if you don't first have Ezra. And I know going after the enemy fires some of you up, right? I mean, some of you, you, you still got, you're saved, but you still got some of your old mentality where you're like looking to fight with the devil. You're like, I wish the devil would. I knocked the devil. I used to cut guys. Now I cut the devil. I just like, whoa, whoa, brother. <laughs> you're just looking for a fight. And sometimes that's how we approach things where we're constantly just trying to win a battle with the enemy, but we're losing the battles in our heart. This is something that Jesus was so concerned with, with the Pharisees. Jesus loved sinners, but he hated religious people. Maybe hate's a little too strong of a word. He argued with religious people. I mean, he, he had something to say to the religious people. Why? Because they thought it was their external works that qualified them. And God said, but your heart is dirty. It's like drinking water from a dirty glass. He said, the condition of, of your heart isn't anything that I'm proud of. The condition of your heart is what I am most worried about. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. He was trying to teach them that the condition of your heart matters far more than what you put your hands to do. And Lighthouse, I need for you to get this because as we've said, we've got a mandate to go and reach this city. But I want to make sure your heart is right before we go and win this city. I, I need to make sure that your heart is in the right place, that you don't get so concerned about what you are doing externally that you've not given any thought to what God is trying to do to you internally. God, God's trying to do something internally. And so he tells the exiles, rebuild the altar. Now, in the Old Testament, the altar wasn't just a place of sacrifice, but that sacrifice was worship unto God. That was all part of worship. When they would come and they would bring the, the, the offerings to the altar and the priests would perform the sacrifice, the altar was not just a place where sins were forgiven, but worship went before God there at the altar. And in the same way, worship first flows from your heart. Worship first flows from your heart. 
This is why in Matthew, Jesus said, listen, don't come to the church and pray if you're fighting with your brother. He said, before you come and lay down your gift of worship, resolve that issue with your brother. Why? Because he was concerned about the heart. He was far more concerned about the heart. And, and here's the deal. Write this down if you're taking notes. Worship flows from a pure heart, but noise is the sound of the impure heart. I'll say that again. When your heart is pure, what flows from that is worship. When your heart is impure, what flows from that is noise. Go back and read the minor prophets of the Old Testament where God began to speak to the nation of Israel. I see your sacrifices. I see you reverencing the holidays. I see that you believe you're worshiping, but all I hear is noise. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, you might have a lot of good works, but if you don't have love, if your heart is not pure, you've got nothing. He says, it just sounds like noise. Lighthouse, you need to get this. It doesn't matter what Jimmy Mena and what our worship team is doing here on stage. If it's not coming from a pure heart, it sounds more like noise to God than it does worship. And I don't know about you, but I came to bring him worship, not noise. I don't know about you, but, but I came to offer my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords my best worship that I can. Everything else from a dirty heart is just noise. This is why it's so important to get this heart right. And I was so moved today. This is just a little caveat. This wasn't in my notes, but every now and then you just get moments where you just can't help but thank God. But as Brother Eli was leading that very last song, how many of you was it just like extra special to hear Eli lead that song about the goodness of God when he sang that verse with every breath that I have? Because we know that last year, right around this time, our Brother Eli was just coming out of a five-week coma Due to COVID, many times the doctors told his wife that he wasn't going to make it. But there was a stubborn church called Lighthouse Church that absolutely refused to believe that COVID was going to take his life. He is a walking miracle today because God healed him when everyone else said, start saying your goodbyes. So it just moved me a little different when he's over here singing about the goodness of God because he's got this heart that is coming out of. It's a pure heart that is saying, I've seen the goodness of God in my life. Again, not, not, not in my notes, but something that just kind of teared me up, knowing that when we worship out of a pure heart, it's pure worship unto God. But when we've got these heart issues, when we've got these heart problems, when we've got this internal conflict that we haven't yet resolved when we come before God, don't, don't get me wrong, God wants you to come before him. He's a loving father, and he wants you to come before him. But he knows what's really more important, and he wants you to get that heart right. It's just last night. My boys give me so much content. I'm out there grilling. We had some company. I'm grilling. I just hear my wife just like yelling. I'm like, oh, Lord, what did you do now? Jude's my middle child. Jude comes downstairs. I'm like, what did you do? I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Mom just yelled at me. I'm like, come on. You know, and in that moment, it's just, it kind of reminds you of like the heart of our father never stops loving us, but isn't always on board with some of the decisions we make. You guys know what I'm talking about? Not always on board with some of the decisions we make. God wants you to come to him. But can I tell you that when you come to him, can we work on this right here? Can, can we work on what's happening on the inside? Can, can we work on the altar of our heart? 
We get to this, I'm going to take you back to the text here. As we get back to our text, we read here that uh, Ezra said this, Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah, Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone, I love this part right here, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house. Who stirred the spirits of these people? God. It was God. Somebody say a calling. A calling. So even though King Cyrus had said this, even though King Cyrus had said, you guys can go on back to Jerusalem and rebuild, your, your, and rebuild the temple under God, God had to stir up the heart of these people in order to go back. And I'm coming to a close. Let me get some music. It makes me preach better, all right? God had to first stir up the heart of those of Judah and the Benjamin and the Levites and the priests. Somebody say, God called them. God called them. Uh, this is why I believe a pure heart is so important. A pure heart brings pure worship. Pure worship brings pure relationship with God. Okay? Pure worship brings pure relationship. I didn't mean to talk about it. Let me just sit on this for just a second. What is a pure relationship when you don't go to God and treat him like he's your genie? Some of y'all have a one-sided relationship with God. I go to God when I need something. That's it? I mean, is that it? Do you only go to God when you need something? A pure relationship, and this is why pure worship fuels a pure relationship, is when you want to be with someone just to be with them. And sometimes we go into our, this is why I was talking about last week. Let me tie this together. Last week when I said when you go into prayer, take a journal and take a pen. Because if you show God that you want to hear from him, he'll speak to you. But if you go to prayer and, and you got nothing to write with. And if you show up to prayer and you're not posturing yourself to listen, why would he speak to you? <laughs> why, why would he speak to you? I was just having this conversation just last night. I said, when you pray, do you go to God with a journal and a pen? When you, do you go with the expectation that he's going to talk to you? Because here's the deal. Many of you don't have the expectation that God is going to actually talk to you. Could you imagine being in a relationship and it was just one person doing all the talking? Men, do not look at your wife and say, hey, amen, that's my house. Don't you dare do that right now. But could, you, but could you imagine? And yet, oftentimes, that's our relationship with God. It is a one-sided relationship. I only go to him when I need something. I, I wonder, Lighthouse, if we can get our relationship to mature to this point where we go to God because not only do we want to talk to him, but we want to hear from him. We go to God not just because we've got something to say, but because we believe that God has something to say right back to us. Pure worship breeds a pure relationship. So I think that God began to stir the hearts of these fathers. He put a calling on the inside of them. He called them to go back to build. What I love about what has happened at Lighthouse Church is this. So many people have joined our church in the last three months, and I believe God has called you to this house because he's called you to build this house. I believe we, we have people here that we weren't reaching when we were in San Marcos. The music was the same. The preacher, it wasn't anyone else. It was me. What changed? 
I see God bringing people that he is going to use to rebuild this church. And as he rebuilds this church, he's going to rebuild the city. And as he rebuilds the city, he's going to rebuild the county. People just start showing up. People just start showing up. I love it. And it terrifies me at the same time. But God starts bringing people together. And here's what happened. Even though King Cyrus had issued the command, King Cyrus said, you can go back. But nobody moved until God called them to move. And here's the reason why. A command without a calling will lead to complacency. A command without a calling will lead to complacency. Sure, if you've got a command, you'll do it. You'll do it for a little while. But eventually, if you don't have a calling to do something, it's going to get stale. And you'll become complacent. This, this is why when we started Lighthouse Church two years ago, why did we push through the adversity of a pandemic? Why, why did we continue to record? We had no building of our own. We stuck a camera in front of us and we sang anyway. Why? Because we had a calling, not just a command. We had a calling. And when you have a calling, you'll continue to persevere even though things get difficult. And here's another thing that I know about callings. You don't get a hold of a calling. A calling gets a hold of you. You do not get a hold of a calling. A calling gets a hold of you. King Cyrus issues the command. But they didn't move until God said, now you can move. And Lighthouse Church, I believe that God is commanding us to move. I, I, I hear it. I, I know that the, everything is opened up now. But, but I wonder, has God called you to it? But I wonder, has God called you to put your hand to it? Because if you build without a calling, it'll be short-lived. It'll be short-lived. But if you've got a calling, it will outlive anything else because God has called you to it. God has called you to it. This is the last thing that I want you to write down. I really believe that callings give birth to movements. I really believe that callings give birth to movements. As God stirred in their heart. It's this beautiful thing. I just, I, I get this visual. I love to read books. And I don't like to just read books, but I love to imagine seeing what I'm reading about. But the Bible says that the fathers of Judah, the fathers of Benjamin, the Levites and the priests, God stirred in their heart. And listen, after God stirred in their heart, then the Bible says all of their neighbors began to give them stuff. <laughs> the people that maybe God didn't call them to go, God called them to give. And we read that they gave them silver, they gave them gold, they gave them beasts, meaning they gave them cattle and animals, things that they were going to need to go and accomplish this task of rebuilding the, the temple and the altar and the walls of the city. And then it goes so far as to say, but then King Cyrus, you see what would happen, this is the last thing I'm going to say, what would happen in war is when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, when they came and they, they conquered the southern... Um, when they conquered Israel and they took them into captivity, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, I don't have time to explain all of that, but when they finally came and took the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, they went into the temple and they pillaged the temple. And what the kings of war would do is they would take everything out of the temple and they had a trophy room in their kingdom. And that trophy room would be filled of all of the battles that they have fought and won. And they would display all the different relics that belonged in the different temples of the land that they conquered.
but King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon was was conquered by Persia and King Cyrus when he sent the Jews back he didn't leave them empty-handed but he said not only do I want you to go back but let me give you some things out of this war room that belong to you and they began to give him the things that they needed in order to build the temple. He began to give them the different artifacts that they needed to rebuild the temple. And when they got back to Israel, did they, rebu- did they rebuild the temple? Not, not yet. First, they rebuilt the altar. Lighthouse Church, this is, my, this is what I need for us to really, really be focused on. Let's build our hearts Let's build our lives. Let's get back to that place where we're coming to God with a pure heart, pure heart, clean hands, coming to God undefiled. Does this mean I'm a perfect person? No, that doesn't mean you're a perfect person, but your motives are pure. And God knows your heart, and God measures your heart, and God, man looks on the outside, but it's God who's looking on the inside. Come on, let's stand to our feet right now. And I'm just believing that God is going to lead this back to this place of devotion. God is going to lead us back to this place of consecration. What I love about the month of August is this. If you had some goals that you really wanted to accomplish in the first part of the year, I feel like August kind of gets us ready to hit that latter part of the year. And if there are some things that God has called you and led you and really put in your heart to do and you've not yet done it, let August be that month where we hit the reset button and get going again. How many of y'all need a reset? How many can be honest with me and just wave your hand and say, I didn't quite hit my goals, but the year's not over yet. The, the, the year's not over yet. I, I'm going to hit a reset right now, and I want to make sure that I do in 2021 everything that God has commanded me to do. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for your presence that is here. We thank you, Father. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.